0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome back to the third episode of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today is my co-host, Scandalous Dan. hi ho And socially Tiffany. Hey. We appreciate you guys joining us for episode three. This is going to be uh, the same lineup of segments and topics that we used in episode one, because we do have our rotating system here. So episode two was a review, and now we're getting into some discussion here in episode three. So we're going to look at some broadcast news, we're going to take a look at cool Kickstarter spotlight projects that we've uh, taken note of, and then today's topic we're going to have the obligatory Kickstarter conversation where we talk about Kickstarter expectations. And then we'll end the show with a little bit of fun doing a uh, modified top ten list using the Board Games for Me search engine online. But for right now, let's start off the episode with a little bit about what we've been playing. So Tiffany, why don't you kick it off?
1: Alright, so at game night this week, I played a bunch of little games. So Ninja Dice, Discount Salmon, Rhino Hero, uh, a new Tear off tier uh, animal upon animal, here we turn. Uh, Potato Man and Concept, but the big thing that I got to play was Black Fleet. And uh, if you don't know about that one, it's an Asmodee released where you get to be pirates merchants and stuff and you have a ship that you can put cubes in you're going all around kind of pick up and deliver style uh so i got i was glad i got to try it out because it looked really pretty but all in all i would say it's probably not my favorite game in the world Uh yeah yep <laughs> no, I I like that on your turn like you have a card and you move your merchant ship and you move your pirate ship and you can move the navy ships around to try to get your opponent's pirate ships. I like that part of it and I like putting cubes in other pieces and components. So that was fun, but it was kind of it was really lighter than I was expecting, I guess, maybe. I don't know. It played in in about an hour. But it just kind of felt like samey, over and over again, same thing.
0: Yeah, I could agree with that, because I got in a play of it too. Um, But I thought it was quick enough that it, I don't know, I didn't think it got too stale.
1: I feel like, well, in in the course of the game, you get these uh, variable player powers, these special abilities, by buying these advancement cards. So you save up your money, and then you get to flip over these cards that give you really powerful... Abilities, And then you also have fortune cards in your hand that can combo together. And I think some people in my group got a little AP trying to make those, like, perfect combos through the... Like, making perfect routes with those combos and trying to get as much done on one turn as they can. So it felt like there was more downtime than I wanted there to be uh, in a game of this way.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to think if I had a similar experience. I played a couple weeks ago, and I don't think we had too much AP...
1: My group is prone to AP, so it. I mean, they can make. We can make any game into a three-hour game, pretty much.
0: <laughs> I, I
1: think. <laughs> but it, Go ahead. Nope, you go ahead. I
0: I think the key for us was just not trying to make those combos. I guess like I I looked through my advancement cards when it wasn't my turn to try to figure out which one I wanted to go for, but I wasn't doing any huge grand strategy. I was kind of just playing moment to moment, which seemed to be how the game like, wanted to be played.
1: Oh, I would agree with that. It's just, I mean, it's hard for me to do that. I know on my turn, I'm, like, calculating out every single space that I'm about to play on, and other people in my group were kind of doing the same thing. Just, like, you could see everybody pointing at their spaces that they were going to kind of yeah. move through. <laughs> I don't know. It was fun. I think with the right group, it would be fun. It's got a weird player count. It's only three to four players. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of has, like, some limitations on who you would play it with. Well... But I think if you... No, go ahead.
0: You think it'd be any good with two? No. Yeah, I think that's why... I think that's why... I mean, I guess maybe five <laughs> could work. Um,
1: you would need a much bigger board to play it with more than four players. Yeah. And that's why it is the way it is. So uh, good for them for picking the player count that actually works with their game and not trying to stretch it to something else. But yeah, I think that might turn some people off.
0: Yeah, um, but overall, I mean, I think it's definitely worth one trying out. I saw a lot of parallels to Merchants and Marauders. It felt like a lighter version of that to me, so I think if you dig, like, pirate, pick up and deliver kind of stuff, I think it was cool, but it's that $60 price tag that is like a no-go for me.
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: Well, Dan, how about you? What have you been up to?
2: Um, Last night we got a chance to play Viva Java, colon, the coffee game, colon, the Dice Game, which is the latest release from Dice Hate Me and uh, TC Petty. It takes the Viva Java game, the large-scale game, and scales it back to uh, two to four players, and it's a dice game. Uh, really cool uh, components to this one. I really liked the the thematic kind of immersion. Uh, the player boards... And all of the central kind of board areas are little coasters um, that the players, you know, use to place their dice, etc. So I thought that was a really neat little touch. There's a couple other things that they stuck in the box. Comes with this nice like burlap sack, um, I guess that you can carry it around with you. Um comes with a, a little eraser that's in the shape of like one of the little um, character things within the game. Brew. The what? It's a brew. It's a brew A brew Is that what it's called?
1: I believe so, yes.
2: You're credited on the back of the book, so obviously you would know better than I do. I am? No, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're in the special things.
1: (laughs) Aw. Thanks, TC. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I
2: was going to say, I saw your name. Um, I
1: should read these books sometimes.
2: It's the back page.
0: Are you sure it wasn't the wrong Tiffany? Ooh.
1: Oh, yeah, that could be
0: a little dicey. Uh, Geez, subjects. But anyway, be pajama dice.
2: So yeah, in this game, you're trying to... um, It's first person to 21, what they call... What are they? Prestige points or something points. Bean points. PP's, which... Oh, yeah. We got a chuckle out of every time we said, I got three PP.
0: So many PP.
2: So many PP. It sounded like potty training everyone around the table basically and um, but you're trying to create the the greatest blend and it's it's a bit push your luck in that you know you're sending your blend around the table if it makes it back to you score points uh, the blend then degrades and you can either see if it'll make it around again to you um, or you can try to re-roll and do something better so I, I like that aspect of it it was, it was it was a very I don't want to say watered down That's not punny. It's also not correct. Um, It was a a very light version of what I've understood the main game to be. I've never played the original Viva Java, so Tiffany, maybe you can shed some light for me on that one. But um, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought there was enough uh, dice uh, mitigation that it didn't get too too random. Um, And it was quick enough that it didn't get stale too quick. So I, I enjoyed it. I'd like to try it again. Um, and it comes with a solo version, which I'll probably try this week. Because I don't get to play too much during the week um, with anyone else that is human.
0: Oh, you're always having your robot game nights? I do. Robot game nights. <laughs> for the wind. I just uh, imagine Dan sitting around the table having a tea party board game night with, like, baby dolls.
1: That's <laughs> what I picture. <laughs> that's
0: what I do. Like, it's st- your sent- turn,
1: Mr. Fluffy. Yeah.
0: It's Mrs. Nesbitt. Uh, <laughs>
2: Uh, is that Toy Story? That's Toy Story. Uh, I, for some reason, I'm picturing Steve Buscemi and Con Air when he goes to have the tea party with the little girl. But oh, that's
0: a very different scene. That's a very, very different <laughs> scene. Um, now, so Tiffany, what's have you played both of these? Uh, the original oh, game yeah. and the Dice Game. I have. So differences. I'm interested.
1: Well, obviously the, the dice game's lighter. Um, in the actual Viva Java, you're putting beans into a bag to try to draw out and make a blend with other people at the table. So, if, yeah, uh, in this one you're just rolling the dice, so it kind of simplifies all of that down. Um, okay. But I think it, it does a pretty good job of distilling down how... Java, the long-form regular game works into a like a pub-style thing that you could take out anywhere.
2: Yeah. In your burlap stack.
1: Right. Well, if yours isn't... Greasy. Smelly. Yeah.
2: Mine, greasy. mine had a bit of a grease residue on the bottom of the box, but it didn't seem to affect anything else, so...
1: Yeah, mine didn't either, but uh, I think it's a good, like, Euro-feeling dice game. I'm really out of love of dice games right now, so this is the only one that I'm playing these days.
0: Yeah, I really liked it, and I think everyone at the table liked it. I was surprised, because I damn broke it out, and I was like, we've been playing so many dice games lately, and I do, I still like most of the games that we're playing, but I was like, oh, we'll see if this one can actually manage to be different, but um, it really was, and... I completely neglected research and still managed to. I only lost by two points. I was pretty. Uh, wow. I was pretty far along. I had a really strong blend that I left for a couple turns and was doing pretty well, assuming we played it right. But
3: no, probably,
0: uh, yeah. But um, it was cool. It was cool, and we got a. We had a good variety of gamers that still liked it, so that was good. Um, so we played some other things: Sheriff of Nottingham, Saboteur, Dragon Slayer, Sushi Go. We've been having so many light game. Game nights because we've got such a mix of people who want to come over and game with us on the weekends. But one of the games that we Dan finally picked up and we got to the table was No Thanks, and apparently this is a classic game that I didn't know about. I'd heard it, but I didn't know this was a big deal. It's yeah. one of the one of the great fillers that is revered. Oh, so you like this game, Tiffany? Have you played this?
1: Yes, I like this game. I carry it around in my filler bag with yeah. me everywhere I go.
0: I. Don't know where I fall on it. It's one of those games that I want to say I liked but I didn't like because as we played it, I thought this is really random and kind of dumb, but then we played it 3 4 times in a row. <laughs> so, I clearly didn't hate it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it's kind of it's one of those kind of addictive games and we we were playing it wrong for like a year. Before we figure that out, but
0: what were you playing wrong? My, my, maybe I, maybe we were playing wrong. No,
1: I don't. Probably not.
0: Dances um, no with firmly no. We well, were Sophia not playing I wrong. I talked
2: about this yesterday. Oh. Um, you were playing the once somebody takes a card, then you reveal the new card, and they are then required to say yes, I want that card, or say no, thanks to that card. Correct?
1: Yeah, that's what's in the rules. Yes. So once you, t- yeah, <laughs> yeah, do what most people
2: I, follow. The rules. Well,
1: listen, hey, listen, <laughs> when I learned this game, I was taught the game. So I immediately bought it when I was taught it. I like got on Amazon within one play of it and bought it. And then I taught it to my group the way I was taught it or the way I thought I was taught it. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. And then we had played it wrong many, many times. And and then I heard on another podcast that this was the actual rule, and then I looked it up and realized we had been playing it wrong for quite some time. We had just been playing that you take the card, and then the next person goes on to the next card, but that's not Uh, right. Don't do that. Yeah. It can break the game.
0: (laughs) Now, um, this is, like, super simple. I realized we didn't explain it, but we almost don't need to. Basically, you're flipping out cards, and you bid on not taking them. And you have these little chips that are worth minus points. You're trying to get the lowest score, um, and these cards kind of go around the table, and somebody ends up having to take them, and then that accounts for your towards your total score. So, and you're trying to have the lowest score. So, it's really kind of super simple. I couldn't imagine it's more than like a three sentence rule book. It's it it's a easy. short one. Yeah, but it's
1: uh, it's it, straightforward, but you can still mess it up.
0: Yeah, and we tried to play some, like, there was some strategy in it, which was interesting, we... Speculation. God, Dan's favorite word of the day was like, I'm speculating on this card, I'll take 33 because I'm speculating, (laughs) and I don't, I still don't know what that means, but... It means that you don't know if 32 and 33,
2: so, I'm not going to get into the explanation of the rules, that's just too much, but
1: you're trying to get cards in sequence because you only score the lowest one And if you have a run of cards, like 33, 34, 35, you would only score 33 points.
0: Exactly. So that's a much better and more concise explanation of the game. Um, so it's super cool. simple, but there's ways to kind of... Nobody wants cards ever, so you're trying to basically milk as many chips out of people, get them to say no thanks as many times as you can get them to say no thanks. Um, before you take a card because points are bad no matter how many points they are so you might as well get something out of it so we were trying to game it a little bit um, but god it plays in 5 minutes So it's
1: a short one do you guys play with open chips or closed chips?
0: we played open mm.
1: I prefer it with closed chips yeah. so you should try that
0: see and that would have come into play at one point because we were watching like oh we can force this guy to take this card if we all just keep going in um so that might have been a better option, but something to consider for next time. What do you do? Put your chips in your lap or something? Or do you actually have like player screens for this?
1: No, I don't have player screens. You just cover it with your hand. Oh. Or keep it in your hand.
2: Yeah. But I have a beer in my hand most of the time, so.
1: Well, you have two hands.
2: Uh, The other hand is used for talking with emotion. Okay. You know,
0: Italian style. <laughs> Italian style.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. We're not going to offend any Italian listeners, are we?
0: No. They okay. speak with their hands. That's an accurate statement. That's not offensive. Our family's Italian, oh. so we're not insulting anyone. We love okay. pizza. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti. Pasta, yeah. Very Italian. Very Italian. So, for all those Italians out there,
2: mi scusi.
0: Is that- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on that note... <laughs> Now that Dan has pardoned us, let's go ahead and take a short break, and we'll come back and talk about broadcast news and Kickstarter spotlight. Okay, so our next segment that we're gonna we're gonna get into is some broadcast news. So let's start out with Dan. He wants to talk about. The Titan series. Yes. Rise of the Titans. Uh, Calliope. Is it Calliope?
2: We do a lot of pronunciation on this show. I think it's Calliope.
1: Calliope is correct. Is
2: Calliope? Calliope. We're going to go Calliope because that sounds good. You can say the Roll For It guys. Yes. The guys who did Roll For It and Soro.
0: Or is it Tissuro? It's Soro. It is Relax. not T <laughs> He's silent. Okay. Okay. Kind of like Yogg. Yeah, that's why we call Tiffany Ifany, because the T is silent. Yes.
2: Alright, Ifany, thank you. Calliope Games recently announced what they're calling the Titan series, which, as I've described it before, is like the board game Justice League. (laughs) These guys that they've gotten together. Can it be the board game Avengers? No, because it's way cooler to say like Holy Hole in a Donut Batman. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, so I went with Justice League just to keep continuity for those comic fans. Um, so anyways, uh, the Titan series, what, the, what this is, is it's a series of nine games that they're going to kickstart over the next three years. Um, And they're going to be, I think they're going to be like light to medium strategic games. But th- the big news with this is why it's called the Titan series. And that's because they've gathered some frickin' titans.
0: Um, oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, you get it now?
0: I think I did read this. Yeah,
2: okay. So some of the designers, these titans that they've gathered include Rob Davio, Mike Elliott, James Ernest, the man himself, Richard Garfield, Eric Lang, and Mike Selinker, just to name a few. Um, So this is going to be pretty interesting to see what these guys come up with. That's a lot of brain power. Um, So like I said before, these games are going to be on Kickstarter over the next three years. Um, you can back just one of them, or there's uh, Calliope saying that if you back all nine of them, you're going to get a huge discount of some sort, as well as some kind of exclusive backer award. So, stay tuned to that. It sounds pretty cool. It's going to be some, like
0: a $1,000, but you'll get all these games. I don't know. Those guys make good games. So,
2: it'll be interesting um, to see, because Calliope's kind of, M.O. is kind of lightweight games. Mm
3: -hmm. Family, more family
2: friendly. More family oriented uh, strategy games. So it'll be interesting to see what these guys come up with. Have you heard of this one? Anyone? You guys?
0: No, I mean I read this. Is this going to be... This isn't like all of these big names are on the same games. This is no, they've contracted these guys to
2: just make some games. I don't know what the breakdown is. I, you know, more details are going to come, but it's a series of nine games, and these guys are working on them. So, so there could be might, some pretty cool matchups. Yeah, there could be three to four guys, you know, working on one game. Obviously, like Mike Elliot and Eric Lang do a lot of things together. Couriers, mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Dice, so maybe they'd be working on something. Richard Garfield, he seems like a lone wolf. But he's come up with some lighter weight games like King of Tokyo. So, you know, it's definitely in him, which would be awesome. Cool. And anything with his name on it will sell. So it'll be cool. it will probably hit every stretch reward, which will be awesome.
0: Excellent. So a good thing to keep an eye out on. Um, one of the things that I picked up in the news, and I might be one of the few people, at least in our game group, to care about this, but I was excited to see that the um, some news for the... New expansion for Tashkalar finally dropped. And I'd seen a promo card a little while back of the Glacier Giant, but it didn't have any text on it. So I was excited, but I didn't know how far along in production it is. But I'm excited to say that the title will actually be dropping at Spiel in October, which is cool because this is an entirely new faction for Tashkalar. The box came with four. But this is a new um, race or group of like frost creatures. So there's humans and uh, conjurations and dragons and all kinds of things. But they're all centered around ice manipulation and snow and things like that. There's a whole new power uh, mechanic introduced into the game that's going to let you do extra things. Um, Normally when you play a card is when you have to activate the power. But this is going to have some delayed frozen powers that you can use. Like it's frozen. I see what they did there. Yes. You get it. You get it. Um, But it looks cool. So there's four – you can go to BGG and look up this news post, and there's four um, sneak peeks at the cards there. They look pretty B.A. Um, Definitely excited to pick this one up and get it to the table. The other piece of this news post is also that Czech Games, um, CGE, the people who produce – Tashkalar, they're taking over distribution for it, which when Tashkalar dropped, a lot of people passed on it because of the little bit of gameplay for the lot of bit of box that you paid for. So, retailed for 60 bucks, You did get four decks, and this game is meaty. There's a lot to this game, but they they sold you shelf space, basically. Um, you bought a big empty box for 60 bucks when this game could have easily been packaged and sold for like 40 45. Um, but the new distribution is cool because they're going to downsize the box size, they're going to improve the component quality, introduce some new uh, graphic design to it, and re-release it um, cheaper, cheaper, which is cool. Um, and they're also going to have an upgrade pack for suckers like me that bought the game for full price. So we'll see what that looks like. I don't know what an upgrade pack will look like. But it's nice to know that this game, getting back to the shelves, might get it some more publicity and might get it into more people's homes. Because it really is a really cool abstract game um, from Vlada Chivado. So Tiffany's piece of news, I believe she's talking about something very exotic and interesting. Excellent. Yes, in
1: yes. About 10 days ago, Artipia Games made like a pretty big splash with their newest game announcement of Lap Dance. Which is a game in which you are playing the role of entertainment assistance at a strip club. So you're you're managing exotic dancers and stuff.
0: So you're pimps. No. <laughs> club manager.
1: You're you, the strip club is looking for a new manager, is what the description says. So you are you are that manager. So you're taking care of the guests and getting them drinks and luxury services and stuff.
0: And then there's the but, whole charades dexterity part where they give you a dance move and you have to act it out for your friends, right?
1: Well, it's funny that you say that because under the category, it does say dexterity. <laughs> so not it expected. could very well be <laughs> in the game because there's not a lot out about what actually happens in the gameplay. There's dice. And that's really all we know. There's some hand management and dice rolling.
3: I bet
2: you there's um, hand management. I was to say, <laughs> get your hands off. You got to pay extra for hand management.
1: <laughs> but I think what from reading a million threads, because like one day I came home and I was like, hmm, there's a lot of people talking about this. I'm just going to check out and see what's going on. Board Game Geek. An hour later. I was like, "What did I just do?" I had been reading threads for an hour of just people raging out about this theme and how it was degrading, and people were pretty upset about it.
0: Yeah, I think it's this is uh, this is gonna cause some controversy when it releases. It's it's getting some attention now just because it's something new and risque. But uh, yeah, it's know. gonna
1: be uh, they're they're having pre-orders for Spiel this year. And they've only released a box cover and two cards, which there's a teacher card, and she is slightly bent over with a ruler. You can kind of see up her skirt a little bit. And then there's a superhero with amazing abs, but you can't see up his skirt at all.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is he wearing a skirt?
1: No, he's not.
0: I do appreciate that it seems to be uh, gender equal to some extent. There are men and women on the box there's two ladies and then two-fifths of the village people (laughs)
2: well
1: they said that they're trying to make it it's not like just about ladies it's about the dudes too so that's kind of nice that it's equally (laughs) offensive to men and women alike
2: yeah, but, but
1: I don't fucking, for the record I'm not too offended by it I
2: was gonna say I'm more offended by some of the other themes that have come out recently like some of these war games and things like that I mean people take these themes so serious like but I don't think people look take a step back and realize like you've got themes about slavery and all kinds of other you know what well, people I mean, could consider highly offensive themes
1: but in five <laughs> tribes you literally have slave cards yeah. like I will take a Slave card now. No one is even thinking about that because it's Days of Wonder and it's pretty. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm... And
0: there's murder and violence and all kinds of games. And I mean... Yeah, there's, you know, mob stuff and all kinds now, of things. Now, this probably has some of the most potential to be inappropriate because it is harder to avoid here, but that doesn't mean that this can't be done tastefully and we don't even know what the game is like, so... No. And as someone pointed out, I thought it was a great point. It's like there has to be
2: something there. I mean, Artipia puts out some pretty solid games thus far. Their track record is is good. So there has to have been something there that they saw as far as gameplay is concerned for them to, you know, take on this heat, um, so to speak. So
1: Exactly. I, well, and, and I mean, it, it does seem kind of outside of the brand. If you look at some of the other things that they've put out, everything is kind of, I mean, it's not super serious, but nothing this what i it would it have to be tongue-in-cheek just looking at the box and
2: yeah seriously stuff. i mean i'm not paying to go see a guy dresses as in as a you know i don't even know what he's dressed as it looks like something from like the
0: that doesn't Polynesian mean you wouldn't Island. go see the superhero you haven't seen him yet yeah uh, yeah he's apparently got nice abs
1: yeah. The superhero has amazing abs, yeah. so there you well, go. Maybe
0: this is set in the Among the Stars universe, and this is actually a strip club on a space station. This is one of the spaces. It's a mini game after you place <laughs> the strip club card.
1: I like that oh, idea.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, this is getting attention, and it'll. I, but that's good. I mean. Well,
1: no press is bad press, right? Yeah. They're getting a lot of attention on this.
0: Frankly, there's nothing wrong with being a little more liberal in terms of. I think interesting I think, game themes. I think
2: this has to come from a European company, to be honest with you. That's just my personal opinion. Having lived there, I know they're a bit more open to various topics of discussion, so to speak. Um, I don't see this coming from an American company, um, so I'm I'm really um, curious about. We this.
1: do have puritanical roots over here, so I think that makes it harder for us. Yeah, you no, know,
2: that's that's fair. But I'm really curious about this one.
0: I I'm intrigued. I think you just treat it like any other game. If it's no good, it's no good. Yeah. And if it's worth trying out, you pick it up. But So that's Lap Dance from Artipia Games. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Okay, so those were some of the news posts that interest us. But there's also a slew of Kickstarter games out there that are just waiting to be funded and talked about. So one of the ones that has caught Dan's eye is Skyway Robbery. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Dan? Yeah,
2: so Skyway Robbery is from the prolific Philip DeBerry, um, who has done other games such as Revolution, uh, Kingdom of Solomon, and a couple of the AEG um, games as well. Uh, this was a game that Tiffany and I actually had a chance to demo at Gen Con, and we'll actually be getting a review of this done in the next week or so once we get our copy uh, in the mail. Uh, But the gist of it, basically, is what I like to call, like, Ocean's Eleven meets Steampunk, in a way. It's a heist game. Um, You're playing as a passenger on a giant airship. um, And you're going around conducting, you know, criminal acts, trying to be and assemble the best um, professional criminals that you can find in this universe. Um, Gameplay is... Uh, essentially going to... I, I, what is there, Tiffany? It's like a simultaneous action selection. You have a hand of cards. Everyone has the same actions available to them. What you're going to do is you're going to pick yeah. three of them and arrange them in the order you want to execute them. Um, and the order in which you execute them comes into play with certain um, aspects of gameplay that, You know, once you get a little more involved. But you're basically going around... Hiring different crew to complete various heists throughout the board. Uh, it's a giant board. There's a ton you can do. Um, I won't get too much into it here. Uh, like I said, we're going to be doing a full review of this one. But it it was interesting. Um, it's got art from a number of artists, but the main one, I think, is Jackie Davis, who has become quite famous in the board game world for some of her really nice projects as of late, especially in Kickstarters. Um, and it was, it's interesting. Um, again, we demoed it, uh, we'll be doing a full review once we get our copy, but the demo we played, there was a couple of, um, you know, graphical things I thought could be a little bit better. Like I said, the board is very busy. There's a lot going on. So having Philip there to explain it was nice, but I think it really could use some more intuitive, um, symbolism and a couple of other things. Would you agree with that, Tiffany?
1: yeah i would agree with that i mean i wish we had i don't think we got a full play of the game in or it was interrupted or something happened but uh i i definitely want to check it out the full production copy hopefully will turn out really nice it it was really good as a prototype anyway it was almost done anyway but
2: yeah it's a a very it's a it's a beautiful game um the, the board like i said is giant you're gonna need a lot of table space for this one um Between the board itself and then the individual little player boards and then all the tokens and cards you're playing. Uh,
1: How are they doing with funding on this one?
2: This one, uh, as of today, again, we're recording on the 14th. uh, This one has 11 days to go. So by the time this posts, probably have about three to four days left. um, They're halfway there. 296 backers at about 16,000 of their 32,000 goals. So it's it's got a ways to go i think and I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news but i think a lot of this has to do with it being a game salute project i agree um, game salute has caught a lot of negative press lately and i think that's really kind of hurt any projects of theirs going forward this being one of one of them so i think that's i think that's my personal opinion i don't know if that's consensus or not again there's almost 300 backers so it hasn't totally you know killed its audience but
1: well and I don't think I mean if you look at the game I don't think there's a lot about that game to dislike the art looks good it's got a solid designer behind it um there's really no no reason it shouldn't fund other than yeah the game salute affiliation and and I can say personally I'm kind of backing away from them because I have I have a game that was supposed to come quite a while back that I still have not received and yeah
2: yeah, it's $44.
0: It's
2: going to retail for 60 So you're getting a, a pretty decent discount with the free shipping. Um, again, but it's got a September 2015 delivery date. So I, I think that right there speaks to Game Salute probably recognizing that they need to do a little bit better on their delivery and their estimated delivery times because that's you know, another year out, which could be deterring folks as well. Um, you know, putting... Putting 45 to $60, depending on where you are in the world, down on something you're not going to get for another year at minimum, that's you know that's not very uh, appealing to some folks.
1: Right. Well, I'd rather them put a more realistic date on it, though, oh, than sure. to estimate it's a six-month turnaround and it'd be two years later like some of my other games.
2: Sure. And we can get into this in our Kickstarter discussion, but I think that's, you know, I'd rather just wait for retail personally. But we'll, we'll talk about that in our discussion.
0: Yeah, so one of the other projects that I was interested in is Killer Croquet, which is a game from Mackenzie Cameron and Inkbrook Games. It's currently on Kickstarter now and has roughly 16 days to go. And it's kind of low on its funding goal, 2000 bucks out of $10,000. Um, so it's going to need a bit of a push to get where it needs to go. But this is basically a game that takes classic croquet so with mallets and the croquet balls wickets and posts and it takes a simulation of that and lets you do what everybody has always wanted to do during a gamer croquet which is smack their head their friends in the head with the croquet mallet um, it's fantasy based you can play as a up to what six different fantasy characters including like Thor and uh, Mariana Malatrov the ex-soviet croquet super spy and a ghost who won a croquet championship against the devil one time so it's kind of goofy in theme but the gameplay is actually just croquet in the strictest sense you play exactly like a game of croquet would and you have the option throughout the game to hit your opponents and deal damage to them and you can get points by finishing the croquet game finishing the course appropriately, and you can also score points by smacking your friend's heads in. So it's definitely got some interesting elements. Um, you can check out our write-up, which will be on the site uh, shortly after this episode airs, maybe a few days before. Um, so take a look at the site to see our write-up and what we thought about the game a little bit more. Dan, you got into play, what do you think, just shortly?
2: Uh It was interesting. Uh, it doesn't take itself serious, which is good. Um, the name, Killer Croquet, I mean, if lap dance uh, you know, arouses suspicion with people, this one right here has the name Killer in it, so why isn't there an uproar? I'm just kidding. Um, it's good. It's, it's light. Like I said, it doesn't take itself too serious. I almost agree with something that Smee said and that I'd almost rather just play croquet. I thought the whole smacking each other kind of just got in the way of the flow of the game. But it, you know, it's good for what it is. I think um, people will enjoy it.
1: It strikes my uh, quirky theme fancy.
2: Yeah, it's Just definitely the... quirky. Uh, you couldn't get much more quirky than this. And again, the art's coming from Jackie
0: Davis, who is drawing everything. So it's... Yeah, it looks really good. The graphic design is nice. It's pretty clear and simple. Um, the proto that we got. One of the comments we had was like, oh, the art isn't all that appealing, but the, the new stuff that they've released, uh, the final version, is really slick. But anyway, so that's Killer Croquet from Mackenzie Cameron. Now, Tiffany, what are you interested in on Kickstarter these days?
1: Not a whole lot, to be honest. I don't think there's been a whole lot that's caught my eye, but um, I did notice that Mayday is putting out another version of Coconuts, Called Coconuts Duo. The crazy, monkey ugh, the crazy Monkey Dexterity Game. So this version is for two players only. And um, you can use it to expand your regular coconuts up to a five or six player game. So it's coming with more player boards, more cups, more coconuts. And they have some extra cards in there. The magic cards that, that come with the game. They have some new ones like... The shield, so you can use that card and put it on top of one of your cups for a turn to block the shots going into it. Um, They have a couple other ones that are only available in Coconuts Duo, and they're also including, possibly if they reach a stretch goal, some pink coconuts.
3: Ooh.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the green ones come standard in this version. Oh, really? Yeah, if you have regular coconuts, you know that that only came with brown coconuts, and you you had to kickstart to get the green ones. And uh, this one comes standard green and brown, but also you might get some pink ones.
0: I feel like green unripened coconuts might hit harder.
1: (laughs) Well, I think the idea, there's no rules for those coconuts. If you look on Board Game Geek, there are a lot of people that have come up with variants for those. But the idea is you just kind of do what you want with them. Cool. So it looks interesting and it's super cheap. It's like $15 shipped.
0: Well that well, yeah. I can't really fight with that. Maybe I'll have yeah. to think of this. How much longer on the project, do you know?
1: Um 19 days, nineteen days. right now. And they're they've doubled their funding, so Nice. It's already funded.
0: Well, yeah, I mean coconuts is a great little game if you like dexterity games. It plays up to four people, why not expand it to six? I can't really see any reason not to.
1: Yeah. I love coconuts, so and, and we that's the only big downfall with our group is it only takes four players, so
0: Yeah. Excellent. So that's Coconuts Duo. Yep. That's what that's called. Excellent. So definitely take a look at that one. Fifteen bucks. Sounds like a steal. All right. We are going to take a break before we transition into our big discussion topic, which is our Kickstarter expectations. Tiffany and Dan, you're on the interwebs. You go to Kickstarter, the largest crowdfunding site there is that I know of. You go to a board game section. You start clicking on games. You open pages. What do you expect to find? What do you want to see from a Kickstarter page? Ladies first.
1: Of course. Um, I want to see an interesting video that tells you tells me about the game... Quickly gets down to some of the nuts and bolts right away, uh, so I can make a decision within thirty seconds whether or not I want to inquire further.
0: Okay, so top of the page, interesting video, and that'll determine whether or not you scroll down. Pretty much. All right, Dan, how about you? Similar, um, caught by obviously interesting
2: artwork that'll always get me to click on it. Um, Title of the game. I mean, some games just have lame ass titles and I don't even want to be really bothered with them if the theme can be conveyed in the title linking to the artwork you know that little icon that basically will grab me um, I also kind of look at and this I don't know if this is good or not but I also kind of sort them by most funded so I kind of take popular opinion and kind of that start my search that way so, so you back to potato salad
0: I, I saw it. <laughs> i saw it very quickly <laughs> but it wasn't in the board game section so yeah. okay so snappy videos and art and you know about the game you've decided to start scrolling you see backer levels you see some more information what do you want to see what do you want to see reviews do you want to see rule books i think reviews are
2: crucial and i'm not just saying that because we do a lot of kickstarter reviews i, I usually look for reviews from us well then that, that decides whether or not i buy a game <laughs>
1: Yeah, me too, totally. That's exactly what I look for.
2: Everyone sh- should look for those. But now, seriously, um, I think having that independent third-party kind of take on the game is really helpful. And I know a lot of people voice that um, with within the comments. Uh, we've actually received a ton of Kickstarter review requests with the designer himself kind of starting off saying, look, people are requesting that I have reviews. I didn't really think about this in advance. Not, you know I didn't really know that it was so important to my backers, and that's how a lot of our requests come in, and it's you know, it's tough on us because it's like oh can you do this in a week, but that's a different story. Um, but I think having that, that level of comfort um, from some of the more well-known reviewers, even you know some just you know random users on BGG, it, it's helpful to kind of get those perspectives.
0: Um, so I definitely look for that. So you want to see the yeah. game has gotten out there and people are playing it and they like it or don't like it. I mean. I mean
2: yeah, because a lot of these Kickstarter projects, if they're not coming from one of the big, you know, the Queens or the, the TMGs or the folks that use Kickstarter frequently, you want to, you know, these are pet projects. Yeah. You want to see that the people have taken the time to get their game out there for feedback. I think that's that's helpful.
0: What do you think, Tiffany?
1: Yeah, I mean, I usually look through the previews and reviews. Um, I like it when they have more than one and I can kind of say, okay, um, Joel Eddy reviewed this. I usually line up with him. I can watch this and decide based on his opinion if I'm going to like it or not. So it's good if there's a variety of reviewers.
0: Okay, so you actually do it like you know what reviewers you tend to agree with and you look for those names sometimes.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty like crazy board gamer thing though. I'm like,
0: <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I watch a lot. Of,
1: yeah, I watch a lot of reviews, so I kind of know which reviewers are closer to my tastes than others. So okay. that's important to me. It might not be important to like the majority of people looking at a Kickstarter page. Yeah. Probably not as, as as important as price point.
0: So say you find a project that you're interested in, you start scrolling down those backer levels. So actually. How much this game is going to cost? What I'm going to get? What kind of things do you look for there? And I ask this question because some games I've seen are three levels. It's you can give a dollar just to support. You can buy the game or you can buy the game if you're in Europe or something like that. And then other games have 15 different buying options with expansions and combos and you get this and you get that. Like, what are are your feelings on that?
1: I would much rather see backer levels simplified, so I like the do- dollar um, pledge level because if I'm on the fence about it, I'll pledge a dollar just to keep, keep up with the project and see what happens with it. Uh, and then, like, full game, I mean, I, I really only need two or three pledge levels. In my, in my thinking. That's not most projects but that's, I don't want to have to think about, okay, this one has the stretch goals, this one doesn't have the stretch goals, this one has the the game, no stretch goals, but you get this other game. I don't like thinking like trying to plan that all out, probably because I back too many Kickstarter projects, but <laughs> <laughs> I want simple stretch, or I want simple uh, backer levels. Okay.
0: Damn. Same.
2: And if you're going to do those whack-ass long kind of list of stretch levels do do like a graphic for me give me an infographic that shows me if i back at this what do i get i've seen a couple projects that do like a nice nice graphic that has like checklist and if you back at this level you get this this and this just clarify it for me i understand some people want to do that and that's how they've kind of structured their financing etc which is fine but i mean preference i would prefer more simplified um and i hate early birds I would prefer to see anything without an early bird. Now, why is that? I just don't feel that they're they're helpful. I mean, me as a as a backer, I might not be, you know, near a computer, you know, for instance, to get one of those, you know, fifty or one hundred early copies. I think. It's Have the-
1: you ever looked at a project, saw that it's had an early bird that you missed, and decided not to back it based on that?
2: Um. Yes and no. I guess it, I think it can only be one or the other. Well, I've, it depends on the project. I think I, I take another. I take a few other factors into account, obviously. Okay. But um, I just don't like them. I just don't, I, and especially when when they're like a dollar or two difference. It's like really
0: just give it to. It everyone. seems
1: kind of silly. It's, yeah, it's
0: it's a bit silly for me. Um, well, but then it, it also is a nice token it's it's symbolic for the individuals who do wait and get that project early they say okay it's just a dollar off but it's because i took the plunge and jumped in before this was funded but here's my thing they like, do something like tasty minstrel recently did which i thought was
2: cool was do it for the first five days um that recent sejay kanai game the, the one about gods i don't remember that had like if you back this game within the first five to seven days mm-hmm. you get this early bird special. But which do I think early it, birds
0: ever last more than five to seven days anyway? Some games they go quick. Some of these That's what I'm saying. Okay, games. so you're
2: saying make it longer. I'm saying make it longer. Okay. Give give those folks that maybe aren't, you know, on their smartphone all day mm-hmm. or next to their computer that couldn't get that even if you have a reminder that the Kickstarter is coming up, like you just can't get to a computer to back it. I mean it's just, you know, the nature of having a full time job or, you know, whatever you're doing.
1: I guess I don't care if it has an early bird and it's just taking off like a dollar or two. I mind if the early bird gives you something for the game that you can't get after that early bird. So if it's giving you a component or something that's going to affect gameplay, that would bother me. But if it's just a dollar, I mean, it's just a dollar. I don't really care.
0: But At that
2: point, why can't you just take a dollar off the price? I mean, is is your bottom line really
0: hurting for $150 or $100? I mean... I think I'm okay with the dollar because I do think it's that nice thing for people who back early. And especially because the ones that I see for that are always like they have twelve early bird levels because it's always like this game is twenty and now it's twenty one and twenty two and twenty three, so really it's like and the full game's thirty. Okay, I'm early bird pledge level seven. Yes, that's it's fair. seven, but whatever. I mean
1: Yeah, and that just goes back to having too many pledge levels. Yeah,
0: I mean that's really yeah. the root of the problem. Yeah,
2: that's the thing. All in all, I'd just rather see Two to three pledge levels, maybe, um, you know, divide them by, you know, country of delivery
0: and then call it a day. I do like projects that are from repeat companies or like um, Stonemaier Games and stuff like that where you can get games that were previously on Kickstarter that you didn't get then. That's more add-on, isn't it? I don't know. I've seen some level. I've seen some backer levels where it's like, okay, you can back for $40, get the game, or back for $80 and get this plus our original release and things like that. Which I like that option because sometimes those games are hard to find in your local shop and online. Yeah, but that's some semantics for me. It could be
2: an add-on or you could put in the pledge level
0: thing. I'd rather yeah. have it as an add-on. Well, What's the difference?
2: Well, just it's an option then. You know what I mean?
1: I think it just depends on what they have as far as stock goes. I think I've seen Kickstarters that have it as an add on because they have a whole bunch of stock left sure. over, or they have it as a limited pledge level because they only have two or three. Yeah. Yeah. You
2: know, yeah, they did sitting around
1: recently. a warehouse that they're trying to get rid of.
2: They did that recently with uh, Hostage Negotiator, bundled with a couple of the other Van Ryder games. Yeah. And they had like a limited 70. You know, or something.
0: Queen Games does that all the time, where you can tack on their other games. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. Come to think of it, I'm not really that fussed by it. So.
1: I don't usually do that. No. If I'm backing a game, I'm just backing the game.
0: Yeah. I do like the option though. If it's something. Yeah.
2: If it's something that's hard to get or out of print or it's going
0: to be a second printing, maybe. But yeah. Anyway, I. It seems to be the consensus is just less pledge levels. Make it simpler. It doesn't have to be all this jazz. If anything, make them add-ons and throw a nice graphic on there so that you can manage your pledge that way instead of having a giant sidebar of 60 options.
1: I don't like exceptions. I've seen a couple of Kickstarters that have exceptions in their pledge level. So at this level, you get all the stretch goals except for this one thing.
0: Oh, gosh. And That, that just sounds horrible. Me- yeah, that's that annoying. That
1: makes me crazy. We yeah. know it did
0: that.
2: Like, Takaido actually did that. The most recent Takaido from Funforge, the collector's edition. It had, like, the samurai pledge level and then, like, the other pledge level. And it was just, it had different tiers of what you would get as far as your stretch rewards. And that was a, a little bit confusing. I know they caught some heat for that to begin with and then straightened it out as the campaign went on. But I, I remember when it first released, I was like what do I get? And what, you know, I want this, how do I get there? And it just wasn't clear at all.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, so we're kind of moving right along through the Kickstarter page and things like that. So let's say that you have looked at all these things and you see a lot of things that you like. How about the project itself? So you haven't yet backed it yet. What are your expectations from a project? Do you expect final rule sets and final components to be showed um, if there's minis, do you want 3D renders or do you want actual sculpts? Things like that. So, project expectations. The game. I
1: definitely want to see a rule book. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be the final rules because I realize, you know, you'll be probably tweaking some rules all throughout. I mean, if if it's a good company, they're going to be c- continuously play testing it up until they submit those final rules. So I'd hope that it would change a little bit from the Kickstarter launch. But I definitely want to see rules. I won't back a Kickstarter that doesn't have rules.
0: Okay, interesting. I think I've backed Kickstarters without rules before. I don't know.
2: It depends on the price point at that point, but mm-hmm. if I'm going to make a, a hefty investment, I agree with Tiffany. I need to see rules. A print and play sometimes helps, just so I can kind of get a feel for what the components are going to be um, and how they kind of work with that rule set. And reviews, as you know, we said before, but I think I think a rule set. I don't really get into the minis projects. I don't; they're kind of out of my price
0: range as far and you know interest at most point. Uh, at most times, sorry. But would you rather see final components? Like even they do this sometimes with like special edition wooden meeples and things like that. Would you rather see them in the game, or would it? Well, would you rather see the render of?
2: I think most nine times out of ten you're going to see the render because they a lot of yet. those are
0: yeah a lot of those are based off of you know stretch rewards. I guess this builds on the question how how final do you expect a Kickstarter project to be? I guess that's the root of the, well, the question.
1: Like eighty percent? Okay. Like a percentage, is that what you're looking sure. for? Yeah, Probably eighty percent. No,
0: how far along do you want to see a game or you know, will you back an idea basically, or do you want to see I that? want to
2: see gameplay more more advanced than necessarily
0: component quality.
2: Okay. I think component quality is something that can be upgraded again through stretch goals or afterwards, you know, submitting files, et cetera, with the publisher and the um, the manufacturer, but if the gameplay isn't there, there's no, there's no reason to get in on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's just, you see a lot of these kickstarters creeping up now that Kickstarter's loosened their rules and it's just people going, Hey, I have this idea for a game. And it's like, yeah, right, dude. <laughs> no one's yeah. going to touch that. You got to have a game. You got to have something to show for.
1: Yeah. I'd like to see gameplay and it's okay. If there's prototype components in a gameplay video, that doesn't bother me. Yeah, that's, that's what f- I would expect. Um, 3D rendering, all okay. Um, I just, mm. I just want to see some fun, like maybe some final box art, some final card art, just so you can okay. get an idea of what the graphic yeah. design is going to look like. You want to know that
2: the art is kind of underway, I guess, is good to know. Because typically a game will have its art well underway, I would think.
1: Before. I think it's a bad sign if it's not well underway.
2: Yeah. Mm. Something else that's new, which is kind of interesting, is a lot of games lately have had, um... Digital renderings of their gameplay, where you could go online and play the game. Um, obviously, oh, like digi-
1: through a Vassal module or something yeah, like that. Through
2: Vassal or Google Hangouts kind of thing. There, there's a couple of different methods. I know. Um, again, Ophir, I keep, but that was. I like the way they did that project. That was one. Um, for was that Forge Wars? Forge Wars had an online module where you could go on and play the game. Uh, there's been a couple. It's it's starting to creep up a little bit, and I think that's kind of cool that you can kind of go and sit down, and you don't have to invest too much time. You don't have much setup, and you can just kind of get a feel for the flow of the game.
1: Yeah, I also like it when they tell you who they're going for um, through for manufacturing. You know, I don't worry about the components so much as lo- if they're going through like a manufacturer that I've heard of and know does good things. Sure, like Panda
2: add Magic, any of the German ones. Yeah, I feel you.
0: How do you feel about um, community interaction and then in that same vein, modifying a project based on community opinion? Because I've seen that happen before. Like, how, how big are you guys into the discussion boards and kind of contributing that way and then seeing changes being made? I'm not
1: opposed to... to designers taking advice from from people that have played a print and play or something like that um but i I also think you kind of just have to be true to your idea i don't want to see them making major changes to a game in the midst of a kickstarter project it's kind of a hard thing to balance but i mean i would imagine a lot of people like that interaction and that's why they go through kickstarter i myself I'm not super active on the comments pages, and I just kind of lurk and, and check it out every once in a while.
2: Lurk. That sounds so creepy. You got to stay. <laughs> sounds <through>. about right. It's <laughs> the creepy Kickstarter backer. Now, I would I would agree. I think I think transparency is the key for me. If you're making changes, if you're considering changes, if people have suggested things. You know, send out an update. Tell me, you know, let them think. Maybe even put something up for vote, you know, with the backers currently. I know a couple of Kickstarter projects have done that um, for certain aspects of the game. But, yeah, I I, I agree with Tiffany. You don't want want the, the, you know, the heart and soul of the game to change too much because the designer had what they had in mind. And there comes a point where you just have to draw a line and say, sorry, guys, maybe we'll consider that for an expansion. Maybe we'll consider that for a future game appreciate your feedback but this is my game this is my my dream idea this is what i want to fund and i I think but again if you are considering it you know be clear and concise and transparent with it okay yeah
1: i think um ignacy chevichek just had a post on board game geek about people recommending factions for imperial settlers yeah and it was kind of like I can't put Vikings in the game for these reasons. And it was really interesting and I just kind of liked it because he he said if you have ideas about actual mechanics and things, I'm totally open to you, you know, yeah. pitching those to me. But if you just want Vikings in the game, I can't help you.
2: Yeah, because I remember reading that cuz he was like, "Well, Vikings, what do they do? They, you know, they raid and they pillage. What do the barbarians already in the game do? They raid and they pillage." <laughs> so, it was like he needed more of the core concept and the core mechanic instead of just the name and the desire to have vikings.
1: I just feel like a lot of some of that kickstarter feedback is going to be that people that just want yeah stuff like that in their game.
2: And that's where you, yeah that's where I said you got to draw the line. You got to put your foot down at some point. And obviously in the most polite way as possible. But you got to just say, "Look guys, this is, you know, that's not true to my my initial design."
0: Yeah. Well, On this whole Kickstarter journey, you find all these cool things. You find a page that you fall in love with, a project that you're into, you back it. You throw down your dollars, and you back the Kickstarter project. Now, the big thing here is, and maybe you consider this before you back it, um, how do you guys feel about delivery dates and delivery expectations? (laughs) They never happen on time.
2: (laughs) I don't think... They
1: rarely happen on time. I don't usually expect my game to show up by the estimated delivery date.
2: I think a a savvy Kickstarter backer, someone who's done this for a couple projects, they probably build into their kind of mental anticipation an extra month or two, you know, at minimum, because there are delays. There are, you know, things that just creep up that nobody could anticipate, um, whether personal or professional on the designer's part. And, you know,
0: just, you know. Crap happens. I can't say the S word. But,
2: yeah. Sorry.
0: So, oh, sorry. So do you, how useful do you find them? Do you consider them when you back a project? Do you just ignore them because you know they're not going to happen? I think they're more
2: useful if I'm familiar with the publisher. I think some of the ones, you know, obviously a Queen Games, a TMG, some of these other big ones, a Dice Hate Me, some of these other ones that utilize Kickstarter as their main business model, or at least they do now in the in, the, in terms of Queen Games. Um, I think they have a better grasp of what it takes. You know everything from Amazon releasing the funding to just getting the files of the publisher and then the actual delivery. I think a lot of people I've read have been just so overwhelmed with how hard it is to actually just deliver all of the projects to everyone at the end that that just adds more time in itself. So I think. I think the publisher itself and who who they are and their history helps me kind of get more comfort around their estimation date. If it's a first-time creator, I'm taking that with a bit of, you know, a grain of salt. Tiffany? I
1: totally agree with that. Um even really established Kickstarter board game people go past their Estimated dates just because of all the things that can happen in the manufacturing process if something comes back and the colors not quite right, and they have to send that back and redo it again and get proofs again, it can just take more time and I appreciate any company that's going to make sure the game is right, I I would much rather have that than have uh, something come back and it has something incorrect on the board that I'd have to put a sticker over. Because that happened in nothing personal, and I, oh, just makes my OCD go crazy that something on the board isn't right.
0: <laughs> well, so if you kind of operate on the on the idea that things happen, it's okay, um, and that Kickstarter dates probably aren't terribly accurate. Do you find that? Would you Would you think it'd be more helpful if dates just weren't given, or would you find it more helpful if? open communication was engaged in about the status of the project cuz some projects that i've backed i keep getting emails and emails and emails about okay this happened this happened this happened it's being pushed back which is nice to have that communication but it still doesn't long story short the game is still getting pushed and that's not good so would it be better to just not have a date at all what do you guys kind of think i do you want to start I don't know. with me
1: yeah I can I mean I don't know i I'd like to have a good idea how long my money is gonna be in limbo um, even if it I mean I always for myself build in literally six months of padding for anybody no matter what just because stuff can happen and, and you just never know I mean if if you have one artist and and the game hangs on that one artist and that one artist has a medical emergency, then your game is pushed back by possibly even over a year. So I, I just I, I put in that padding and that's I consider the the time thing being a best case scenario and that's kind of what I want. I want best case scenario we'll get this game to you by April.
2: Yep. no I agree. Maybe, and...
1: maybe it could be a range instead of just a one month might be better.
2: Yeah, that'd be interesting give a range of dates so people aren't so concrete. But I, you know, I work in investments. So I look at Kickstarter and I think it really is. I mean, a lot of people should look at it this way. It's an investment. I mean, when you put money into the stock market, there's no, you know, there's no guarantee that you're getting something, you know, in return. When you invest in a new company, there's no, you know, in real life, you know, not, not that Kickstarter's not real life, I apologize for that. I'm saying, but... When you invest money in a new startup company, for instance, um, there's no guarantee that that company is going to succeed and that you'll get any return on your money. I think you, you need to have that same kind of mindset with Kickstarter. Is that it, it's slightly different in that you your expectations are to get a game because you think you know it's it's a smaller kind of investment. But at the end of the day, Kickstarter is for startup companies trying to you know build their dream, and for you to put money into their dream you have a certain level of faith but at the same time you have to you have to be cognizant of you know things happening like you said that could push deadlines and/or returns on your money so I, that's kind of how I, I look at it so' I'm, I'm not as phased when something slips as long as like Matt said as long as the communication is there as long as people are telling me why and it's a feasible reason I, I'm perfectly okay with folks you know missing deadlines if if it's you know warranted
0: all right, any other ideas about Kickstarter expectations? I think we had a nice little discussion there, but anything else on anyone's minds?
1: You know what we didn't talk about? Sure. Sh- stretch goals. We didn't uh, talk about stretch goals,
0: and I completely slipped. All what right. Are, what are stretch goals? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so stretch goals, when you meet certain uh, funding levels, you get fun things, and stretch goals are like... They're those chase rares that you're after sometimes. Now, what do you guys think about stretch goals?
2: I'm torn, to be honest with you. I think um, some stretch goals, to me, seem like they should have been in the base game, which kind of irks me, um, because I'm just like, why not just put it in the base game, you know? But other times, I think they're cool. Now... I guess the other question to you guys would be, are you for Kickstarter exclusives? Do you like having that exclusivity to your investment in Kickstarter um, that other folks when it comes to retail don't get?
0: I think where I fall on that is whether or not the exclusivity, and really stretch goals in general, do the stretch goals impact gameplay? If stretch goals are just free stuff, cool bits, upgraded components, I'm all for it because I'm putting my money out on the line to back a project ahead of time and i'm helping to fund this game but if it's things like i can do this in the game and you can't i've got a different faction i've got a different team i've got a different board or mechanic introduced in this game No, that should be in the game or not in the game release it as an expansion everyone should have an option to get that because it fundamentally changes the game and the game that you are playing is not the same as the game that i'm playing but feel free to give me metal coins, and if you don't back... Or a different box or... Yeah, right, you know, bummer so for it. you. Tiffany, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm a completionist, so Kickstarter exclusives can really bother me if I've missed a Kickstarter. So if I get a game and I know it and I really like it and everybody else has all this sweet stuff, I'll end up getting on eBay and paying way too much for it. That's that's how I look at Kickstarter exclusives. So um, I don't know. I, I, I understand why they use them because it does give people a reason to hop on there and back your game. Um, And I, a lot of times like the things I get that are Kickstarter exclusive things. I like the idea of that like deluxe version of the game that you can only get by backing on Kickstarter or or better yet backing that company's game on Kickstarter. So, like we mentioned before, how they have levels where you can kind of get their other Kickstarter games on a different project. So, I don't know. I kind of, I'm okay with it if there are other ways to get those things or if they're just released later. So, if, if it's like an exclusivity thing, I backed on Kickstarter. So, for this whole first year, none of these other people are going to get this character in the game. And then after a year, they'll put it up on the BGG store. I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah. I think all in all, I just I want the stretch goals to make the game better for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think upgraded components is probably my favorite stretch goal, and I love to see those get hit because who doesn't love meeples and linen cards and all that good stuff? So I think I think if they make the the game better as a whole, then I'm I'm all for them. I'm,
1: I get worried if there are too many stretch goals.
2: That's that's where I kind of get back to my point of like, why wasn't this taken into account when you kind of initially budgeted mm-hmm. the game? Kind of
0: yeah. <laughs> I've never backed a game because of stretch goals, but I have modified my pledge level because of stretch goals. So, and I particularly look at like large mini games when you're backing like Dreadball, basically Mantic projects, because they give you hundreds of dollars of stuff if you pledge high enough. You can really, you know, make some money on that um, or save some money. So, a game that I'm already interested in, maybe I chip in a little bit more to get some cool stretch goals, but I've never. Said, "Oh, I want that stretch goal. I'm going to back this game now because that's so cool." But yeah, they don't. They usually draw me in. If anything, if yeah. I see like a you
2: know Phantom Meeples in Scoville or you know <laughs> Viking Meeples and Gone Viking, you know things like that. They were they were cool when they they added a nice little twist to the game. But yeah, stretch goals, awesome. I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Shoot, well, how do you feel about projects that don't have them? What about projects that make hundreds of thousands of dollars that don't? Have any stretch goals, or that don't? And now is this a pre-order? <laughs> because that's a whole other. Well, discussion that's if we're using Kickstarter as a pre-order, but we don't um, have to get too far into that. But basically, do you think stretch goals should probably be there to I, reward backers? I don't backers? mind. I think. I think.
2: Well, I think. Oh, jeez, I just said I think four times in a row. The um, you can have a few. I don't. I don't. I don't believe that hurts any. Mm-hmm.
3: Um,
2: I'm going to take for instance Brewcrafters, which was Dice Ate Me. Um, it had. It had one pledge level, right, Tiffany? It was just $60 for the game. And then it had a couple of little stretch rewards if they hit it. But I think minimizing the, 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 um, the pledge levels kind of was what drew me in. And then if we hit that, you know, as a group, great. Um, there was a couple of minor things added in, but it wasn't make or break. I mean, the game was just needed to get funded.
1: Right. I just like it that, you know, when I see a stretch goal uh, or a list of stretch goals, that it seems reasonable. Like when I see a Kickstarter and there are a whole bunch of people on the comments page like, yeah, what if we do this? And what if we do this? And what if this? And then that starts popping up on the stretch goal list. I get a little bit worried because that, that wasn't taken into account. And the more you add on there, the later and later this game is getting delivered. So I like it when there's clear evidence that the project manager has thought out the stretch goals ahead of time and made a reasonable amount of stretch goals and i think it's true dice hate me always they have a limited amount of stretch goals when they put a kickstarter up there and they're not just throwing things at the project to to get backers happy i'm okay with the publisher standing their ground on that
2: yeah and you know you know from them for instance you're going to get a solid base product with quality components so the stretch goals have kind of already been incorporated into the base game so to speak um for those kind of component upgrades. the um, well, I Just one quick thing before we stop this, but uh, how do you guys feel on stretch goals that are kind of released as the project goes? Or Tiffany, this kind of segues from what you were just saying. Would you prefer to see them all up front? Or are you okay when the designers release them in kind of spurts? They may have thought of them before, but they're just kind of waiting for them to get hit and then releasing a new one.
1: I mean, I think that can build up the interest in your project. Like, oh, we're going to release another stretch goal today. Like, that's exciting, and I'll probably keep up, keep up with the updates a little bit better if a project is doing that. So I don't mind that. Either way is fine.
0: Okay. Either way, yeah. Although I do know for me at least, like, seeing a couple stretch goals down the line is exciting for me to follow along that way, to think like, oh, I'm going to get to that first player marker that looks so cool, or I'm going to get to the upgraded meeples, but that's like $20,000 away, so maybe I'll tweet a little bit more, or maybe I'll put out some news to get people into this game, because I want that stuff, but yeah, I mean, either way, I think, I just like stretch goals, I think they're fun, a fun way to keep people engaged, and uh, get them excited, and give a little, they don't have to be big but just yeah. a few little things, you know, some extra cards, a, a meeple or something is it's a cool way to reward backers and things like that. Yeah. So
2: cuz again, if you look at it, it's an investment and you need to entice people to invest. It's it's your sales pitch and how you want to go about that. Yep. Yeah. But they don't trump a good game.
0: Or, no. And they don't make they, uh, they don't save <laughs> a bad game. They shouldn't. So but yeah so excellent discussion on kickstarter the Any... obligatory kickstarter out of the way there we go we got it done three. we got it done we don't have to talk about kickstarter until two episodes from now when we do spotlights again yeah. <laughs> all right so we're going to take a short break and then when we come back we're going to try a modified top 10 list and do a little bit of fun stuff with the board games for me uh, search engine
2: Okay, guys, for this next segment, I'm going to take the lead.
0: So imagine we're all naked.
2: (laughs) For this next segment, I'm taking the lead, (laughs) and I'm trying to picture my co-host naked to make it a little bit easier and less nerve-wracking. What we're going to do is a little bit of a twist on a top ten list. Um, We're going to take the Board Games For Me search engine recommendation site, which allows you to go in and put different search criteria in for board games type, duration, size, etc., and it spits out some recommendations that you can use to kind of hone in on you know, your next purchase or your next game night play, anything you're kind of feeling. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through, Matt and Tiffany have devised a list of their top 10 worker placement games as of today.
0: Well, how about you tell us our full search criteria? I will. Okay. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> so for today they're
2: gonna to be doing their top ten worker placement games based on the following criteria that we've plugged into board games for me um, game type strategy a long duration which is sixty plus minutes a size of medium which is two to six players and the age range of thirteen plus so using this criteria what we've done is i've plugged in to board games for me and i've gotten the list And we're going to go through and have them spit out their lists, and then afterwards we're going to see what the site says, and we're going to compare and contrast and see if we agree. All right, so let's start it off with Matt's number 10. Matt, give me your game and something you'd like about it.
0: Uh, My number 10 is the ultimate intro worker placement game, which is Lords of Waterdeep. And I think that my favorite thing about Lords of Waterdeep is just how easy it is to play and the fact that it's pretty abstracted from this fantasy theme there's enough there for people to chew on if they're into that but it's also just meeples and cubes if people really don't dig dragons <laughs> what about you tiffany
1: my number Man. 10 is manhattan project love it and i love that game for the art and the different theme and the fact that you can airstrike your opponent's facilities
2: yeah, that is pretty is cool. That's the best part. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Although our group doesn't really utilize it all that much, but when it does, it's cool. Okay. So let's let's Tiffany, let's stick with you and let's go with your number nine.
1: My number nine is Coal Baron. It's newer to me than the other ones on my list, but I really like how they incorporate pickup and deliver with the elevator mechanic.
0: I like that it fits into the board.
1: <laughs> right. It's got sort of like a dual layer board, so the elevator slides up and down in that. It's kinda cool. And, and, you can put more than one worker on a space. So that's interesting.
2: And? What? (laughs) I quit.
0: All All right, let's go with Matt, number nine. So my number nine, way down on my list, is Caverna. Agricola doesn't even touch this list, I'll tell you right now. Caverna does because it takes all the bad parts out of Agricola, makes it tolerable, You get to go on the little adventures with your little dwarves, and it's got the nice cave versus farming aspect. And all of those uh, roll cards have been turned into little tiles that are out on the board. And I really think it's easier for me to get into. Um, And it's not so darn hard to feed your people all the time. Yeah, that game may be the reason
2: there's non-existent rainforests in the world. There's so many little wooden bits in that game.
1: It's a heavy box. Made of
2: Amazonian wood. Yes fine quality Amazonian wood. Okay, so let's keep the snake going. Matt, what's your number eight?
0: My number eight is Lancaster, which I almost didn't even think about, but we've actually played this a good number of times, and it's pretty simple, but it's got some nice uh, different options in terms of different worker sizes, which influence where you're going to be able to put them, and there's a nice, like, control in the in the battles uh, piece of the game, and... Um, there's some nice bidding, too. So a lot of really nice mechanics thrown in there, and it's really easy to play.
2: That was a Spiel des Jahres nominee, I think it that was, was it? a
0: couple years ago. I didn't yeah. know that.
2: Yeah, that, one's, that one flies under the radar a bit, in my opinion. It's good. It's good, though. I enjoy it as well. All right, Tiffany, number eight.
1: My eight is Belfort. Um, it's a worker placement game where you're placing elves and dwarves and gnomes, and there's an area majority component to it. So when, when you're placing things on that board, you get points by having the majority in an area.
2: Yeah, that's it's definitely a different take. The whole um, area majority part of it is was, was interesting. With that nice little fantasy overlay, that cool little Josh Capel art.
1: Yeah, I like pretty much any worker placement theme that's a little bit different, and that's definitely different.
2: I can agree with that. All right, number seven, Tiffany.
1: Number seven is Viva Java, the coffee game, which I was kind of feeling a little weird about putting on this list because I, do, I never really thought about it as a worker placement game, but I guess you are technically placing some workers in there. Uh, but what I like most about it is the interaction where you're working together with different players to build these powerful brew uh, things, and that's what I like about it. You're 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 negotiating across the table with everybody, and it's a worker placement game that plays pretty quick, and it's best with seven or eight players.
0: Oh, that's
2: a lot of yeah. players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about it earlier. Play the dice game, but Matt and I have never played the actual Mm-mm. the mothership. I like the dice
0: game enough that I'd be interested to try it out. Yeah. Definitely. When
1: we have Nonsensicon, that's got to get to the table.
0: Definitely. Stay Nonsensicon. tuned. Nonsensicon. <laughs> Can I do my number seven? Yeah, do your number nice. seven. So my number seven is actually Tiffany's number ten, The Manhattan Project. And I love bombing my opponents, and I like uh, all the cool different actions that you can take um, but I particularly like just how many options there are um, because you've got the spies that you can send to other people's buildings Um, you've got uh, you could focus on building bombers and planes to play that way Um, you can go plutonium or uranium you know there's a lot of nice different options and the cartoon artwork is super cool Yeah, and just remember folks it's okay
2: to bomb your opponents with atomic weapons but don't get a strip dance or strip- <laughs> a lap dance.
0: Don't get a strip dance. Don't get a
2: strip dance or lap dance. This is why we don't let you host. Nope, this is why I don't speak. It's probably best <laughs> that I didn't have my voice the first two episodes. Um, all right, Matt,
0: number six. Number six for me is probably one of the chunkiest worker placement games I've played recently, which is Russian Railroads. Um, Russian Railroads is basically has nothing to do with railroads. It's barely a railroad game. Um, but it's definitely an interesting worker placement game, and it has a really nice Euro feel with a, a couple different paths to victory, although they're all similar, but you can kind of pick and choose. Um, plus, how many games do you get to play where you score 400-plus points in a game? Not many. All right, Tiffany, number six.
1: My number six is Carson City. It's a Western-themed uh, worker placement game, and it kind of has like a tile placement uh, aspect to it. So you're you're claiming these different plots of land as you go, and you're building buildings that give you points on them, and you can duel.
0: Nice, nice.
1: Yeah, so you can throw down, and it it uses dice for the duel part, but yeah,
2: it's fun. Yeah, this is one that's been on my list forever. I've had like three BGG trades fall through.
1: Um,
3: one reason
2: or the other but i've been trying to get this one forever i look forward to it it's good how about your number five
1: my number five is key flower which i haven't played a whole lot of recently it's kind of been collecting some dust on my shelf just because it has some table sprawl and it seems to take my group a really long time to play it but um You're kind of putting workers, and it's almost like you're bidding with the workers. So there are these hex tiles that you put down, and you're putting yours on one specific side. And then each player's adding their workers onto it, and whoever has the most there um, gets to claim the tile and put it into their tableau.
2: Cool. Yeah, this is another one it has been on my one-to-play for a while now. We had a chance to play Cathedral. That was awful. At Origins. It wasn't horrible, <laughs> but it, it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. It was but not I've, the
0: place to learn it.
2: Yeah, it was definitely not the place to learn it on sleep deprivation. But I've heard Keyflower is one of the better ones in the Key
0: series. Matt, number five. My number five is Carcassonne, because there's no reason this shouldn't be on anyone's list. Tiffany. Um This is super easy to play. It's often people's kind of first introduction to the hobby itself, if not certain game mechanics. Um, It's pretty much infinitely expandable. There's so many options to add in and mix it up. And to the point where you can basically make Carcassonne not even the same game anymore, which is good and bad. I mean, I am cool with the original version, but you can also add in all kinds of weird things. Um, But it's definitely a great little game.
2: They're coming out with a new one. It's like... Carcassonne Gold Rush or something like that. They have oh, like little cowboy it's not even French like anymore? I think... I think, I think they I
1: think. have a whole bunch of different ones that are coming out. They have the South Seas version.
2: Yeah, we, we played, we played that. that with the bananas. Yep. Yeah.
1: For the record, I own every Carcassonne expansion.
2: That's pretty good. I have so. most. And it doesn't make a list?
1: <laughs> Correct.
2: I don't have the mini ones yet, but I do have all
0: the other ones. I don't get your logic, Tiffany.
1: I love Carcassonne, it's just not on my top ten. That's fair,
0: that's fair. Sometimes
1: I think of it more as a tile placement game than a worker placement game.
2: I could agree with that. I think that's probably true, but I
0: made the stretch because you are placing your little workers, you right? You
2: have the choice of placing your meeple, yes or no,
0: kind of thing. Alright, so maybe I stretched it a little we'll... bit, maybe I'm in the wrong here. All right, we'll allow we'll <laughs> it. For now. forgive me.
1: No one's criticizing you. <laughs>
2: no,
0: we're just criticizing you. What's number four? <laughs> <laughs> number four for me is a game that I just got to play at Origins this year because everyone was ranting and raving about it and it's in its like sixth printing. Um, Alien Frontiers. So dice worker placement. So roll your dice at the beginning of the turn and then do different things with them. Um, I was a little nervous about it going in because it really felt overhyped to me, but it's pretty darn good, I do have to admit. Um, I like the quirky, um, old-school sci-fi theme that's put on it, Um, and I I like a lot of the the dice choices and the different actions that you can take, so that's my number four. Cool. Definitely a good one. Tiffany, number four?
1: My number four is a classic. I consider it a classic. Everyone should own Stone Age.
2: It is a classic.
1: Yeah. It's just a worker placement game. You can put two meeples in a love hut and make a baby. <laughs> so who doesn't love that?
0: Is it and called a love hut?
1: I think so. I feel like it's called the love hut. I could be wrong.
0: It's the procreation tent. That's cool. Is it? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'd personally be going to like the pizza hut first, but
1: sad. But being... Um so back to stories, right? <laughs> Yeah, so I like it because you you collect resources in it. Uses You get to roll a handful of dice in a stinky leather cup, so it's kind of neat. They do
0: smell awful. Why are you guys <laughs>
2: smelling your
1: cups?
0: I told you that when we played. I was like, this cup smells awful. And I, I smell
1: all of my game components after I unshrink a game. I don't know about you guys. I thought that was normal.
0: She no. accidentally inhaled some of the spirium
2: crystals.
1: I did
3: get a
2: nice whiff of Imperial Settlers the other day when I opened it. It just had a beautiful cardboard smell. Did it smell like Poland? No, it didn't. (laughs) Because Poland smells like sausage, and I love it.
0: (laughs) That was strange.
2: I've been there like three
0: times. I love it there. So,
2: Tiffany, your next game, please. Number three. Number three, what's your next game that smells funny?
1: Uh, Is Agricola All Creatures Big and Small? I was not a huge fan of Agricola in any way, shape, or form when I first played it. And my group really liked it, and I didn't get it. But when I played this, I feel like this distills down everything that I like about Agricola and takes out all the stuff that I don't like. So, And it plays quick, and it's two players.
2: I was going to say, so it takes out the other four players. Is that what you didn't like about
1: it? (laughs) Socially an epic gamer, I don't want a whole lot of people sitting at the table with me. So this is just one other person that I have to deal with. I could just play it two-fisted too. I could just play it by myself. But no, it's fun. You have all these building tiles that you can add to it. They have a couple of different expansions. So you can, it's infinitely replayable because I have a million buildings for it. And like I said, it it takes out the feeding thing and it takes out the cards. The card's integral are what drive me crazy because they can make or break your game even if you play with the drafting variant at the beginning I've just had some bad card draws I'm a very unlucky player so it kind of takes that out and, and just puts it in a smaller more manageable time frame that I can deal with
2: yeah, that's fair alright I'm going <laughs> to let Matt talk about his number 3 because and I'm going to tune out
1: oh stop it!
0: <laughs> haters going to hate We'll have a long conversation about Euphoria at some point when we can get Dan some defense. Um,
1: You're going to need it.
0: Yeah. My number three is Euphoria. This is another dice placement game similar to Alien Frontiers set in this dystopian world. Um, Components, simply enough, are some of the best around. um, But the gameplay is also really engaging and interesting, too. There's definitely some quirks to it. Um, when we sat down and played a five player game and tried to learn it all late at night, that was probably the worst way to, to jump into Euphoria. But it really is a fun game that, um, because of its choice in game mechanics, uh, makes it a bit friendlier than some other worker placement games. Um, and you can really get into it and do the things that you want to do and develop a strategy. And you don't have to worry as much about defensive plays and kind of getting screwed over. Um, which is actually a positive thing because we are the kind of game group that does that stuff maliciously. You
1: don't think you can screw people over in you, Euphoria? I've definitely, definitely seen that happen. You
0: definitely can, but I think that, and this may be a conversation for another day, but the bumping mechanic makes it a bit more of a passive game um, than some oh, okay. I that's That's the main thing that we debate on is the whole bumping mechanic and how basically I can take an action anytime I want, even mm-hmm. if your die is there.
2: I like scarcity in my worker placements, <clears> and I just thought the the bump mechanic could have been tweaked a bit to make it a little more interesting.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate scarcity as well, but I think that it's nice to have an option that doesn't back you into a corner all the time. Um, but yeah, either way, Euphoria is definitely worth a try to see your, your own opinion on it, and it is definitely my number three. Sure.
2: It's not as horrible as I think it is, but... Um, I would definitely put Alien Frontiers above it
0: in my list. I would not. But I don't have a list, so we're going to move on. Yeah, so you don't get a say. What's your number two? (laughs) My number two is Tiffany's number eight. And this is a game, this isn't a list of the best and most groundbreaking games ever. This is my favorite games. And Belfort is number two simply because I absolutely love this game. It's probably more of an area control game than it is a worker placement game. But the worker placement is still strong in it, and I really like the interactions between the guilds, the area control on the board. Um, it's got a great little theme attached to it, and it's so simple to play, and it plays pretty quick, even with uh, higher player counts. I just really love Belfort and think it's, it's always fun to play. Number two, Tiff.
1: Number two for me is Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, I love this game. I know it was Matt's number 10, and it's a good intro game, but with the expansion, the Scoundrels of Skullsport expansion, it really shines. Um, It adds a corruption track, so you have some negative resources that you're getting throughout. And, I don't know, the best thing about Lords of Waterdeep is you're just constantly creating new action spaces. I love that feeling of like, ooh, I'm going to make this new sweet action that I can take later on. So... I'm addicted to the app. I play it all the time.
2: It's cool. It's a really good app. It's a really well done yeah. app. Beautiful. Yeah. I find myself playing it when I just need something to kill some time. Okay, Tiffany, number one. Ooh, that
1: was boop, boop boop. Yikes! I don't. Think
2: um, it was a trumpet or a synthesizer
0: or what? A little bit of both as a remix. That just <laughs> remixed number one music. <laughs> Well you gave no there was no excitement and enthusiasm. This is the number one of our first top ten list ever. One
1: I think that's about as excited as Dan ever sounds. All right.
2: Yeah, I'm very All right, Tiff, take your number one. All right, (laughs) Tiffany. Just Just go ahead, lay it on us, man.
1: This is really a terrible way to set up my number one. I just want you to know that.
0: (laughs) Well, this is what you get.
1: My number one is Alien Frontiers. I could play this game any night of the week, every night of the week. I love Dice's Workers, period. Any game that has Dice's Workers, I'm going to be playing that game. I like the tech cards that let you kind of manipulate the the pip values on your die and planning out perfect turns and all that kind of stuff. So it has Dice's Workers, but there's plenty of room to mitigate the luck of it, and I need that because I'm insanely unlucky. So Alien Frontiers. It's awesome, and if you have the Factions expansion, it's even awesomer.
0: I hear that's the best way to play. It is. Did you back the new expansion that was coming out? Yes. Nice. Nice. Very cool. All right, Matt.
2: Number one. Yeah.
0: Meh. Man, I think I'd rather have Tiffany's intro. <laughs> All right, we can swap all
1: right. them in post.
0: Well, the, yeah, the beautiful <laughs> thing is, is that I do posts, so I get to put in cool music under my number one. I'm just saying. If it sounds
2: like anything like the music you just created with your mouth, it's horrible. Oh, yeah.
0: I was going to do original recordings for it all. Okay. No? I did the soft jazz at the intro. Just
2: What's your number one?
0: <laughs> my number one, which no one seems to be happy about, as we discussed like this previously, that. is Zulkin. And this is... One of what I think one of the more innovative worker placements that I've seen just from like a, a physical sense because it, it's made up of these five different rotating gears where the cogs, they interlock. Yes, thank you. And they, when you spin them, your workers, um, you can invest them for a certain number of turns. And basically, the longer you keep them on these spinning cogs, uh, the more profitable or beneficial the actions will be. Um, And that's a really unique mechanic for me. Um, When I first played it, I kind of fell in love with it. It's got some nice um, thinky elements in terms of when to place your workers and how long to leave them on. And it's pretty approachable, I think. It's definitely like a higher level game. But when it comes to worker placement games, I'm all about um, things that you can get to the table with relatively experienced gamers. but, um, But nothing that you have to chew on too long.
1: Your number one is the one worker placement game that I would throw out of a window, set on fire. Um, I, I can't stand Sulkin. I find it intensely frustrating. What I feel about bad it? about that.
0: I don't know. I don't care. You're gonna have to play it with me one day. That's gonna be awesome. Oh so.
1: no. I don't know. I just I I guess I have a hard time playing. I feel like I always miss the the thing that I want by one turn, or like. I don't know I just can't plan right in that game I don't grok it and I play it and I just get really angry and I'm sitting there for a long I, I feel like that game does not play quick at all
0: I I don't know maybe it's just I think the first time we ever played like playing with Dan and me. they're very good Euro players and I think it took a bit longer like when we sit down at the table but playing with like Kel and Ben and some of the other people that we play games with this game we just kind of roll with it and it it definitely has the opportunity to do some heavy planning um, and take a while but really the more you play it you can develop a strategy that you can kinda go for and execute and then it does reward that adaptation cuz there's so many different ways to score points that you can kinda bounce around Um, and I really like laying it on the line Um, damn like scarcity in worker placements I really like taking the risk of like I'm gonna put this worker out there and I'm not gonna get him back for five turns and hopefully things are where i need them to be in five turns like it's it's an interesting game to try to solve and and puzzle out so but I can see that you want to toss out a window and burn it because you're not good at it i get it i get it joking <laughs> really gets my gears turning oh jeez
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that means did
2: you see what i did there oh yeah there all oh, right yeah. so you've heard what these these two folks think uh, what they would recommend if you came up to them and said hey Name 10 of your favorite worker placements that take 60-plus minutes and are kind of strategic.
0: It happens to me all the time in the grocery store.
2: <laughs> People just do that. They come up to you and they ask these things. Um, so what we're going to do real quickly now is I'm just going to go, like I said before, um, boardgames4.me is the web address. It's the board game recommendation site. Um, it's really cool. It's become pretty popular recently. It's, it's newer. Um, but it's linked with, it's one of the sister sites of I Slay the Dragon, for those of you familiar with that review site. And what we're going to do is we put in all the same criteria, and I'm just going to read off what they would recommend, and we can kind of gripe or agree as needed. But we'll do it quickly. Um, number one, I don't think either of you will have issue with,
0: was their Lords of Waterdeep. So you guys should both be there. It should be
2: good
1: it. choice, Internet.
0: And these are in no particular order, right? So this is just—it's good no. that it's on the list. These Lords are the first views. ten that show up. There's okay. no ranking. Um,
2: so the second one, and you both will hate this, is Agricola.
0: Yep. So Go home.
2: Agricola, Matt liked <laughs> in the version of Caverna. <laughs> Tiffany liked it in the the version of Tiny Animals. So, Agricola is there in spirit on your lists. It's just not the
0: Take original. All of the big stuff out. Yeah. Put dwarves in it and make it two players, and Tiffany and I will be happy.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. Yep, I can agree with that.
2: Uh, The third one here made none of our lists, and this is actually one I've been wanting to play for a long time because I own it and we haven't tried it, is uh, Archipelago.
1: I also own it and have not tried it.
2: I've heard good things about this. Um, I I didn't know it was worker placement. It is, and I just have not gotten it to the table. So We'll talk about that one later. Yeah, one to look out for. Um, fourth here on the, um, the interwebs is Spirium, and this is one I actually really enjoy. This is from the designer of Kalis, Um but this one is pretty good. I don't know, how do you guys feel about Spirium?
0: Tiff.
1: I've only played it twice, but it reminds me a lot of Spikerstadt, which is my favorite Stefan Feld, so I like it.
0: I want to do things to Spirium like Tiffany wants to do things to Zulkin. I do not like that game. I just can't figure it out. I feel like we play it and it's just random. I'm bad at it, though. I'm awful. Yeah, I think it's a good game.
1: So this is the theme. We hate games that we are not good at.
2: Number five here is Kingsburg, another dice-as-worker placement. Or dice-as-workers, sorry. Um, I don't particularly care for this one. I've heard the expansion makes it much better, but I know the base game was not something I would ever seek out. I'd rather play Alien Frontiers. How about you guys?
1: I've never played it, but uh, and it's kind of a hole that's missing in things that I've played because Alien Frontiers was based on that, but pretty much everyone that's ever played it that I know says that Alien Frontiers is better, so I just haven't made a priority of playing it.
0: Yeah, we played them back-to-back almost, and Alien Frontiers wins out. It really just is more fun.
2: Cool. So the uh, number six is the second Uwe Rosenberg on the list, and that's Le Havre, or The Harbor. Uh, This is a game that I don't have the physical version of. I do have the app, and I play the app every once in a while. I do enjoy it. It's very thinky. Um, but it's one I want to I get to the table in physical form.
0: Do you own it? I do not. That's no. that's one I, I want to get. This is one that I also... We bought it at the same time in the app, and I just don't think that the game is good to learn that way, mainly because I'm trying to play it on iPhone. I don't even have it on iPad. So I might like it, but learning it through digital format is not working for me. I need to see it on the tabletop before I can weigh in.
1: Me too. I... <laughs> <laughs> I I bought I bought the app because I thought, well, maybe I'll learn it this way and see if I can if I like it and then maybe I'll get it. But then I and then I realized very quickly that I wasn't going to learn it via that app. So I gotta wait on that. I I do have the two player version of it, but I don't think it's anything like the the regular one.
2: Yep. Alright, number seven, we have Dungeon Pets from Mr. Shavatel. Um, This is one that I have not yet played. I've played Dungeon Lords, but I haven't played the Dungeon Pets. I've heard it's actually probably a better game if you're more into strategic thinking. So, have either of you played this one?
0: Ah, no. I recant what I said about Spirium and I put it on Dungeon Lords. Dungeon Lords is one of the least fun games I've ever played. And that's a little mean, but I did hear that Dungeon Pets is more fun and there's poop in it.
2: So that's cool. Everybody likes playing with poop.
0: You have to clean up after the animals, after your pets. But I did not like Dungeon Lords, so I haven't had any reason to go play Dungeon Pets. Although, if it is different and better, then I'd be more than happy to get to the table.
1: I haven't played it.
0: Alright. Number
2: 8 was on Tiffany's list, and that's Keyflower. So we've already talked about that one. Number 9, this is one that would have been on my list had I been making a list, and that is Village. I absolutely love that game.
1: I love that game too. I it really kind of should be on my list where Colbaron Baron is. I kind of forgot about it, but I do love that game.
2: It is such a good game, so unique. I love the Death Book thing aspect of it. That's such a cool mechanic. Um, I just we're playing this have next you, week. I'm putting this out. That's cool. I have do.
1: you played it with the expansion?
2: I have not. I can't find it anywhere. I I saw it last year at Gen Con, and the day I went back to buy it, it was out already, and I haven't been able to get it since.
1: I know someone who has a copy of it. Do they want it? I want it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you think you'd get a chance to play it anytime soon, I you could borrow it.
2: A great game, Love Village, and that won a Spiel to Jahres, didn't it? A couple years. ago. It was ago, the so. Kenner Spiel. Kenner Spiel, yeah. sorry, yeah, it is quite good. So, and then last on the list is one that I think was mentioned. In one list, mats, I believe it was Russian Railroads And so that's another good one So there you have it, that is the If you were to go on the interwebs On board games for me And put in your search criteria What they would suggest to you based on What we just kind of talked about So now you have a little bit of an idea Of our favorite worker placement games And what we would recommend As well as the interwebs and how they differ So that's that
0: all right, and I think on that note, that's going to wrap up this episode, episode three of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. So before we go, um, you can find us at nonsensicalgamers.com, but even more importantly, if you want to communicate with us directly, you can find us on Twitter. is one of the best places. So, Dan, what handle do you go by? Uh,
2: I run the League's website and the Twitter handle, so at League Nonsense. Uh, if you want to find my personal one, I post a little bit more non-G rated content on there every once in a while. And that's uh, at scandalous underscore
0: nad, which is Dan backwards for those of you giggling. <laughs> and Tiffany, where can everyone find you on the Twitters?
1: I am at ineptgamer.
0: And she won't respond because she is inept. Nope. No. No. She will just favorite it. And...
1: <laughs> I respond. I will favorite it. Of And And then think about an hour, (laughs) then respond.
0: You can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically, S-I-N-U-H-M-U-H-N-B-U-H-N-S, Cinnamon Buns. Uh, So again, thank you all for joining us for this episode. And stay tuned for next week, where we'll be doing a review of Sheriff of Nottingham. And we can all say goodbye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. If you're enjoying the content or have comments and suggestions, feel free to reach out to us on social media or shoot us an email at podcasts at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can also support the show with iTunes reviews and hearts on board game links. As always, swing by nonsensicalgamers.com for up-to-date news, reviews, Kickstarter previews, and gaming-related blogs. Until next time.
2: What? (laughs) <laughs> Just to list off some of the the designers that are going to be working on these nine games, uh, you've got Rob Davio, Mike Elliot, James Ernest, Matt Forbeck, Richard Garfield, Seth Johnson, Eric I Create Everything Lang, Mike Mulvihill, Paul Peterson, <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Sillik. I can't say his name. All right, cut that. I need to start over my list. No, you're fine. Keep going. Is it Movilhill? No, I liked it. (laughs) 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 Who else?
1: No, I think you should start that list over.
2: (laughs) So some of these designers that they've gathered are Rob Davio, Mike Elliott, James Ernest, Richard Garfield, Eric Lang, and Mike Seleniker.
0: Could board game designers just be John Smith?
1: Well, look at the designers of lap dance. I'm going to have a hard time with that.
0: Starla and Cinnamon? (laughs) (laughs) Her real name
3: is Brittany.